who would be so nasty as to take all those words? Look, why don't you guys, I've got, to, I've got to arrange something up here, so why don't you guys stand up, have a little bit of a chat to one another, talk to each other about the Lord, shake each other's hand, kiss if you need to, and do that. Talk. I saw that kiss. So how are you going? You're just sitting there and I'm thinking, I feel for you. I'm enjoying this. Granddad needs a hug. All right. That's a great start. Feel free to continue conversationing, if that's a word. I'm not Shakespeare, but I can make up words. Josh made up words, I can make up words. <sighs> I have the joy... Nah, that's not true. I get tonight to, to speak on giving. Be happy to know this is my first sermon ever on giving. I, I've taught a little bit in the Old Testament, so I've done some of the theology of some of this stuff, but to put it all together in a way that comes in church is kind of um, exhausting, but a lot of fun. So I have a PowerPoint. I've decided that rather than, I don't know, I've picked out ten principles, and I have to say ten basic principles. One of the reasons I think I'm bad out so hard is I think that we as, as Christians kind of either go overboard with our discussions of money or we go underboard with them. We never actually kind of discuss them. And when we do, we focus on those lovely, all-encompassing statements that we love, those basic principles, give cheerfully, give, uh, give uh, thoughtfully, give prayerfully, give proportionally, all those sorts of things, and we, we trot them out. And they're right, they're, they're good things. Um, and I'll probably do some of them tonight. But I do think it's important that we begin to look through how we as God's people give. Use what he's given to us. And so I've got ten basic principles. And the first one's pretty straightforward. So the next one, everything we have is from God. It's very straightforward. We say this all the time. In First Chronicles chapter 29, David, when speaking, says, but... Who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you. 
and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We often think about that in terms of money, but when we sit down to give thanks for the food, we mean it for the food that we have in front of us, which God has provided for us. It goes much broader than that. It goes into the time that we have comes from God. He holds all of our moments in his hand. And if we read through the scriptures, it says that. But tonight we are mainly talking about money. Now, someone asked me if this was real. It's the big print version for older people. Uh, so if you're older and you want to swap some of your small print stuff, I have a number up here you can talk to me afterwards. So everything we have is from God. And so whatever we talk about, we have to do therefore in terms of what are the principles that God has put there before us in terms of using our, our time and using our um, relationships, using our finances, using what talents we have, what skills we have, whatever else. And I'm not even sure that giving, although that's the topic that we've got here, is the best word. In many ways, it's going to come up in principle number three, and that is stewardship. What do we do with what God has given to us? That one's easy to deal with. Number two, I think, is probably the the difficult one. Some of what we have is his. This is an interesting concept. It comes up through the Old Testament. A tithe, this is from Leviticus, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If you like, when we get it, we have to recognize that even though we have been given it from him, it's his to begin with. And you read this all through the law of the Lord, but it's also earlier than the Pentateuch, and it's also... In, in, in lots of different parts of the Old Testament, that there are parts of what God gives to us that he gives to us for himself. Illustration. I should do it. This is visual because I need it. I'm slow. Day one. Right? If we think about it, each of us has been given, and this will take a few moments, please forgive me. Day two, seven days, which are ours, if you like, given to us from God. Every single moment of them is from Him. And in all of them, we are to acknowledge that what we have is from him. So it's fairly straightforward. I think I got this right. hope I have enough days. I created time earlier. I made nine of these. I figured God wouldn't be happy with me trying to improve. So I dealt with two of them. I don't know if you can throw away stuff you've created, but anyway. Six of these days are for us, if you like, to go through and do the things that we are wanting to do. I just ruined my notes. One day, God says, stuck in creation. 
founded in creation, he says, this day is mine. That's mine. You give that to me. There's no option on this one. That's his. Now, the principle of how that time is given to him might change through Scripture. So we in in the New Testament, we might give to God the time which is his in our Sabbath, in our Sabbath rest and everything else in, in a way that is different from was legislated for the people in the Old Testament. But nonetheless, throughout the New Testament, there is still this expectation that God gets his time. That's his. You don't have an option with that one. This is a little bit more freedom here, but that's his. It's for us to worship him. It's for us to spend time with him. It's for us to take time to learn and hear from him. Now the fascinating thing, and we'll find this when we get to money, right? in the New Testament, he kind of pushes this out. He says, well, this is kind of what I put in place for people, but I actually want all of those as well. Fair enough? He says, yes, you worship me here, but I want this too. Okay, this you have to give me in the sense it's a principle that runs through. That's mine already. I want that. When it comes to stuff, if you read through Leviticus, if you read through parts of Numbers, if you read through Deuteronomy, God, as he's speaking to his people, basically says to them, the first stuff that comes, the first fruits is mine. If you want it back, you've got to pay for it. You've got to redeem it, if you like. Mine, it belongs to me. I've, yes, I've given it to you and you bring it in on my behalf and you present it to me. It's mine. The third principle, we'll come back to principle two in another principle. Principle number three, we're stewards of the rest. All right? So uh, if you read through the New Testament, Jesus, as he talks about those things that God gives to his people, He then says it's how we deal with that stuff which shows whether we are good servants or not. So Moses was seen as someone who was faithful in all that God had given him. We want this sort of comment, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things, I'll put you in charge of many things. So basically it works out this way in terms of the three principles we've done so far. God gives us all of this. He wants some, it's his, it belongs to him and he wants it back. In other words, it's to be set aside for his purposes. This is now to be used as, in some ways I think, Carol talked about it this morning in the sermon that he did on giving and quite rightly that this is, if you like, on loan in some ways. I'm using a different word put in our hands for us to use but we're stewards of him is to be done in accordance with his purposes so we if you like if we want to do it with time we don't get to spend this as we want to we do it according to the principles that God put in place you know we're supposed to spend some time with our family how much time do you reckon hun? give you a whole day spend some time with our family because that's the principle of how we're supposed to use our time right we're 
supposed to spend some time with those people that God has put with us and we're supposed to develop relationships and all those sort of things. Does that make sense? Right? We have to work. and sleep and all those other things. But how we use this, I'm just removing it actually so I can put money up here, right? We, we use this according to the principles that God's put in place. That's, that's what we do. We're stewards of it. So, now we come to the fun part. I made myself uh, a kind of a weekly or monthly salary of $2,000. That's not a hint for those people on the management team. And the question is, out of all of this, if the same principle applies, and I think we can see in a moment that it does, right? some of it is God's. The rest of it is ours to use but this we use according to his principles does, it, does that make sense? fairly straightforward Okay, so that's all that money that's there principle number four please, the next one uh, back one, is it? No, that's right no, back one I've got two number fours, that's it I cheated here, I didn't want to have 13 principles it seemed really Bad, or 12 principles. 10 was much better, so I did 4A, 4B, 4C. Okay. Sorry about that. Principle number 4A, God allocated his bit. In other words, in the Old Testament, God said how his bit was supposed to be shared. He, did, he said how he wanted it, if you like, spent, how he wanted it used. Some of it, he said, I want burnt up as an offering to me. But a, a large percentage, a tenth of it, in fact, in the, the, the Pentateuchal law said, this goes to my people who are my special servants worship, who work in my temple and who work as priests for me. So he allocated his bit to his servants. And you can actually find before the time of Moses, he allocated some of, if you like, what people gave him to other people for their benefit. So in uh, Numbers chapter 18, verse 8, then the Lord said to Aaron, I myself have put you in charge of the offerings presented to me. All the holy offerings he is like to give me, I give to you and your sons as your portion, your perpetual share. So with some of what God received from his bit, if you like, I've got $2,000 there. I'm pretending I'm an Old Testament Israelite here. Out of that, 10%, a tithe, went to the Levites, went to the priests. They, that was there for them to, to live by, if you like. That went in every year, went to their storehouses. And it was what they used to generally have as an income so that they could survive. They were required from that to give a tenth of that to the Lord as well, saying that's his bit of what the Lord has prospered you with. The next principle, number 4b, is not only were they supposed to give it, not only did God allocate some of it for that purpose, but he allocated another 
for his worship. So in Deuteronomy chapter 14, verses 22 to 27, I haven't got it all up there, be sure to set aside a tenth of all that your fields produce each year. This is different from that tenth which they were to set aside. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine and olive oil, and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. This 10%, this tithe, the first fruits, was to be taken up. It wasn't to be eaten at home. It was to be taken up to the temple with the family and they were to have a party. They were to rejoice in the presence of the Lord. This part of God's bit, if you like, the bit that he wanted set apart, was for his worship. He said, use it to bring praise and honour and glory to me. Have a party in my temple. And he said, if you can't bring it all because you like live a long way from the temple, exchange it for silver and gold at home, silver normally, take it to the temple and buy stuff with it at the temple, around the temple precinct, to, to have a, an enjoyable time. Controversial statement number one. Please forgive this, but I thought it was just interesting as I was doing the reading. He said, so when you're buying stuff, he said, buy some, buy some animals, buy some bread, buy some grain, buy some wine and other fermented drinks if you want to. So you didn't just have to have wine, you could have beer, you could have ale. He said, for your party that you're going to have here, enjoy time with other people before me, celebrating with this which I've given you thankfulness to me. And then the third part, I just stood on time. The third part of what he says is in the next principle, 4C, God said every third year I want you to take another 10%. Now every third year, so I'm going to cut this in thirds, which if you're a very good mathematician, don't do this with real tender. There we go. He said, every third year I want you to put this aside. At the end of every three years, bring all the tithes of that year's produce and store it in your towns so that the Levites, who have no allotment or inheritance of their own, and the foreigners, the fatherless, the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied and so the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. This was something that wasn't to be taken on a yearly basis down to the temple and celebrated to before the Lord. It wasn't to be put into the storehouses with the Levites and the priests. The Levites and the priests were to look after it and they were to give it, use it for those people who didn't have any. God said, with this part of mine, the tithe, that's what I want you to do with it. I want you to give it to the poor. I want you to give it to the foreigners. I want you to give it to the fatherless, for those who don't have out of that gift. So they're the principles which God said to do with his bits and pieces. What does he want done with the rest of it then? This is where it comes through with our stewardship. And in, in many ways, I don't really want to talk too much about this except some of the principles that relate to it a little bit later on. You see, there were also in the 
Old Testament. Besides this, God said, look, if you really have got a lot of stuff and, and God blessed you, you can take a free will offering. You can say, look, God, thank you so much for what you've done for me. I really appreciate it. It's fantastic. Or if, if something really great happened in your life, you got a new granddaughter or your, your children got married or someone who was sick got better or your cow had twins. I don't know what it was. Right? Then go and say to God, thank you so much for blessing me. I just want to praise your name. Use this. This can add to your bit. You can give it to the Levites and you would go and offer it before the Lord. Some of it you ate. Whoops, I just gave that third away. Some of it you ate before the Lord in the same way as giving thanks to him. Some of it was spread out to the poor. Some of it was for the priests. And this was something that was a free will offering. And this is what we read about in terms of Hezekiah. The people brought their tithes but then they brought all their free will offerings as well. They brought all of that. How much does all that add up to? Everyone keeps talking about tithes as being 10%. The average Israelite was expected here with God's bit, and I'm not going to say that we translate the same thing into the New Testament. We'll get to that a little bit later. 23 and a third percent was the tithal amount that people gave to God in the Old Testament in terms of the law for these purposes to look after the house of God to look after the poor and those who are fatherless and widows and for those times of just celebrating and worship of God he said that's, that's my bit that's what I want with the rest of it they lived they gave thanks, they brought their food. Someone has been using this microphone out of shape. Either that or my ears have gone wonky. Um, this was then to be used according to a whole range of principles. You, you were still a steward of this though. It was yours to spend if you like as you want, but according to God's principles. You, you could use it to buy clothes, you could use it to buy food, you could use it to improve your house. You couldn't use it to get drunk and you couldn't use it to buy stuff which made you pompous and whatever else above everybody else. You couldn't use it to extort other people. You, you weren't allowed to loan it to people and charge them a huge amount of interest. There were principles in place. But this, this was what God had prospered you with. That's how the principles through the Old Testament and those same principles run through the New Testament. Let's go to um, number five, principle number five. Jesus defines things for us. One of the big arguments, and if you ever look up tithing on the internet, I suggest you don't because there's a lot of rubbish out there, but on both sides of the argument, all right, in terms of whether we should tithe, whether we shouldn't tithe, whether we give this, whether we don't give that. Because the New Testament, the suggestion is that Jesus doesn't say very much about it. And the New Testament writers don't seem to say very much. They say stuff about how we should give, but they don't say much about how big God's bit is. Because this is what it all comes down to in the end, isn't it? Isn't it? How big is God's bit? That's what we worry about. If God's bit is up to us, we won't say, I'm happy with that. But if there is some sort of thing in there where God says, I want all of that, 
that might be a burden. This is where the issue lies. This is what the interesting question is for Christians. Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 defines a fair bit of the law. He says, Do you think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets? I have not come to abolish them but to fulfil them. He then goes on to say that not one jot nor tittle, not one little piece nor stroke of the pen, no part of the law will pass away. Then he goes on to say, For I tell you that unless your righteousness, your keeping of the law, is what he's talking about here, surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. What's he doing? He then goes on to say, It's told you in the law that you shall not murder, but I tell you, you shouldn't even hate them. says that you don't commit adultery, but I tell you, you shouldn't even lie. He gets right down to the heart of the issue. He, he says later on to the, to the Pharisees, you keep the tithe, but you ignore the weightier matters of the law. You ignore that attitude of the heart that is supposed to accompany them. So what does he redefine here for us? In that redefinition, he doesn't get rid of that. What he says is it's a heart matter that counts. And then we have three examples of how that heart changes in people who meet Jesus when it comes to money. Zacchaeus gives away how much? How much does Zacchaeus give away as what he says is, this is what I have to do? From his conversation with Jesus, I don't know, he gives more than 50% away. And then Jesus sees this widow going into the temple and she drops everything in there and he says, she's put in more than everybody else. It's not the amount, but she's given her all. She's given everything she's got. He basically talks about how great that is. And then the rich young man comes and says to him, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, keep the commandments, keep the law. He says, I've done that. I'm a good guy. I have kept it. I love my mom. I love my dad. I keep the Sabbath. I've never killed anybody. And Jesus says, well, there's one thing you lack. Give it all away. Give it all away and come follow me. And Jesus redefines stuff. One of the problems, I think, for us is we keep getting down here and saying, how does Jesus define this in a way that's manageable for me what do I do with that I really think that the principles that run through scripture is Jesus says as it is with the Sabbath uh, yeah I got a day but I want it all yeah this the worship of me the looking after my people the caring for the poor yes that, that, that's a bare minimum And then I want the rest. I want the heart that you have for me to dictate how you use everything that you have. That's what I want. The other problem is that in the conversations that we have, we generally suggest that all of this, if you like, which is for God, 
needs to go in the plate. In other words, we seem to think that as we transfer from the Old Testament to New Testament the principle that whatever was to go to the Levites, to the storehouses of God, to the temple for distribution, should now come to the church as a group. And that's where I think we fall down. I, I don't think there's a valid transference there. But there is a valid transference that God still wants what we have to be given to him. And therefore, it behooves us, it puts us in place to think of just a few more principles so that each one of us can work out how we at least give God that which he wants as his and how we work out what we do as good stewards with what's left. So next few principles. I've only got five more. You'll be happy to know. Number six. Give and use purposefully. Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7 says, Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We'll talk about this when we get to principle number 10. But anyone who comes to you and says, and this is an example, I don't want you quoting me. Right? If you don't give at least 10% and possibly 23% in there, you're breaking the law and sinning. That's what you must do. That's an imposition. You're feeling that. Right? That's a, I'm just commanding you that's what you have to do you would feel compelled to do that. And Paul says here, that's not how we respond. We don't respond under compulsion. That doesn't mean we shouldn't give a certain percentage. What it means is it shouldn't be something that's imposed upon us. It should be something that we have purposefully thought through, prayed through, considered our money, our time, our relationships and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? What's your bit? What are the principles in Scripture that apply to me so that I can willingly give you my tithes, tithes, plural, my offerings, free will, that you might be glorified, your people might be cared for, and those who are in need might be looked after? How do I, how do, I do that? What do I give? How much do you want from me, Lord? Purposely. Our giving has to be purposeful. Sometimes you see when the offering bag comes down, people kind of hunt in their pocket. <laughs> I'm actually broke at the moment. I don't have any money. Right? And so we kind of just drop in whatever's there. That's not what the New Testament teaches. It says that all of our offerings to God are not the leftovers. They're not the little bits and pieces. They were God puts down our hearts to give purposefully, prayerfully. Number seven, give and use as appropriate the money that he's given to you. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 says, There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year you and, last year you and Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. 
He's, he's commending this group of people that they saw the need, they knew it was appropriate and they did it. And Paul says a number of things that are appropriate here. This is looking after those congregations which were poor. He says in Timothy, care for the, the widows who don't have anyone to look after them. He says, look after those people who work in the Lord and they don't have another income. They're worthy of getting and receiving income. Give for that. It's an appropriate gift to give. It's an appropriate use of the money that you have. So think it through. What are the things you want? We had compassion last week. So is that appropriate? Is that something that the Lord would want me to give to? And it doesn't just go with the money that's in, if you like, I'm calling it God's bit, the stuff that he says, that's mine. Use it for my work. But all of this, is it, is it appropriate to spend it on that? I would love, personally, and if anyone has one hanging around, a 60-inch flat-screen 3D TV. The new ones that are out allow someone to game with someone else and if you're wearing different 3D glasses, you can play on the full screen the same game but you can't see what the other person's doing. Totally cool. Could I afford one? I got the nod that way. It's kind of a nod in some cultures. Definitely a No, don't have enough. But if I did, I would then have to sit down and say, well, is that appropriate? Is that an appropriate use of what God's given me when I have a look at the world? And I think, what does he want his money that I'm a steward of to be used for? He's given me at least three purposes, and that is to care for his people. The other purpose that that I know I have to do is to um, give praise and thanks to him in all sorts of ways. And I, I, I need to spend time looking after those who are poor and dispossessed. And if I read through the scriptures, I understand the parts that God says in there, don't have everything when people have nothing. And I think, okay, even if I had the money, I think, personally, for me, it would be inappropriate for me to go out and buy that really big screen TV. But if you want to donate it, I'd probably have to say thank you very much and find some way to sell it on eBay because I don't think it fits in our house. Um, Use it appropriately. How do I use my time? What do I spend my money on? Is it something, is is it uplifting, is it encouraging, is it profitable, is it useful? That's our principle is how we spend our money. Next, number eight. Give and use generously. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul again talking to the church of Corinth says, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Paul's not talking here about generosity to the church. It would be nice if he was. He's talking about generosity to those people who are in need. He's talking about the generosity of doing things 
for, for a situation where people don't have. And he says, as you do that, God is praised in the generosity of what you give. And he says, be generous. Don't be stingy. God's given you lots. And why has he done it? He's done it so that through the use of it, he will be glorified. So if you like, one of the other appropriate principles is in my spending of this, does God receive praise? Can God be glorified? So he says, give and use generously. Don't hold back. Be cheerful about it. Number nine. Give and use faithfully. Again, in, uh, to the Church of Corinth, he says this, Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. The idea here is, do it regularly, do it faithfully, do it thoughtfully, don't do it on the spur of the moment. Don't do it because there's this huge sermon on giving and you feel completely compelled by guilt to give. It's fairly common actually for the offering the following week to be fairly large. You can feel free to do that. Um, but having done it faithfully, prayerfully, thoughtfully, what is it that God wants me to give? How is it that God wants me to use my money? There are lots of ways that we can do that and it's supposed to be done on a constant, faithful practice. It's not just faithfully giving to the poor. There's faithfully looking after those people who are serving in the church. It's one of the things that they talk about in Timothy. It's being faithful in setting aside money in the Old Testament every third year so that you can give to the poor or to God's people who are in need, or the widows in the church who need to be fed, or whatever purpose it is. Some people give faithfully every month to look after children with compassion. When we were in the Sudan, we took some of our money and changed it into the, a smaller denomination. I would always keep some in my pocket. Set aside so that whenever I came across those people who were begging, I had a set-aside amount so that I could give. To say, here, take this, use this. People say, oh, I don't do that, it encourages them. Well, I would hope so, that it encourages them. Because they should give thanks to God for that which is the generous, regular giving. It wasn't simply a matter of whatever I had on hand, it was this idea of thinking about it and thoughtfully going and prayerfully giving. There are many more principles, but the only one more I wanted to talk about tonight. Number 10. Don't let wickedness stop you. What do I mean by this? Rocked up to a church. Any New Zealanders here? No one owning up? Really, are there any? I don't want to offend you. Went to a church in New Zealand uh, last year and we rocked up for the service and it was a wonderful time of 
praising Jesus and the songs were okay and it was good. There was a little mosh pit down the front and it was lively and we were rejoicing in God. And then it came the time for the offering. And that took about 15 minutes because we had to go around a couple of times and we had to be told that if we gave, God would bless us. If we gave, God would bless us. Write a check and add a couple of zeros, all that sort of stuff. And I'm there thinking, that's weird. I don't want to be involved in this. These people are abusing their privilege. And a part of the thinking that went through my mind was my money, which I'd planned to give, stays in my pocket. I'll go home and give it to another church. These guys aren't getting it. The problem is that sometimes that sort of idea gets translated even further and we think we can't trust people because some people abuse it in one way we won't give. And so because of the wickedness of the abuse of what God's people do with money or organisations do with money, we get tentative and we take a step back and we don't do because we don't want it to go in that direction. So for example, giving to aid organisations. I've seen aid at work in Ethiopia, in the Sudan, in Kenya. And some of the organisations are fantastic. They take the money and they use it completely in the situation. And others of them abuse it horrendously. All the aid workers drive around in $150,000 US cars and they live in these huge houses, etc., etc. And you'd be tempted as you look at the way that it's abused to say, I ain't given at all to poor people. Because it's abuse. But instead what we're supposed to do is, is to not let that wickedness stop us from doing what we're supposed to do. There are churches which abuse the gifts that are given to them. They take the money and the pastors live in fancy houses and buy fancy cars and go on fancy holidays all at the expense of the people that they work for who don't have any of those same privileges. Well, because that happens elsewhere, that doesn't stop us from being faithful where we are. It's one of the opportunities that we have members meetings here so that you can keep the church accountable for things like that. You can look at the finances of various organisations. You can say, how is the money being used? Just because a lot of churches with tithing, this whole idea of giving a 10%, abuse it with this huge guilt trip that they put on people. I know this one church that actually keeps a record of all the money that you give. And they, um, if you're missing church for a couple of weeks, they'll knock on your door. They so look you away for two weeks. Uh, we understand that perfectly. We need two offering envelopes, please. You've got to pay up. And if you don't pay up, the reason is there's something wrong with your relationship with God. We need to talk to you. Well, that's, that's an abuse of power. That's an abuse of a relationship and all those other sorts of things. Don't let that stop you from the concept of I need to give to God regularly an amount that I've set aside. And there's all those sorts of things and experiences that we have. Jesus was 
talking to the crowds and, and the Pharisees were there. And Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, they sit in Moses' seat. They have this position of authority. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. He says the teaching, the scriptural principles can be valid. Live them. But don't follow the example of the wickedness. But don't throw out the biblical principles because of all the abuse of it that you see. And uh, that would be my last encouragement to you. What are the principles? Everything we have is from God. God wants his bit. In the Old Testament it was about 23%. He said, this is what I want set aside for my use. Does that carry over into the New Testament? Well, I don't know. I think the principle carries over. How much that is, the principle that, that we've operated on in my life that I've been brought up with and I think has been useful is the first 10% has kind of gone to the church. But then there's always been on top of that other stuff which has been for the use of the help of God's people and hospitality and encouraging other people and equipping them and and, and taking time to spend with them and to celebrate Jesus with them. And then there's been opportunities to give to the poor and to the needy and to those other sorts of things. And all of that usually ends up at being more than 10%. It can be much greater than that at times. That's kind of been the principle and I think that's the biblical type principle that the scriptures talk about. So I encourage you, with that bit, spend some time. Look up the passages of Scripture. See, pray, think about it. Say, God, what is it that you want me to do with the money that you've given me? And that bit in particular, which is yours. What do you want done with that? And then with the rest of it, Lord, how should I spend this appropriately? Do you want more of it? I know I have to meet my bills because you tell me I'm supposed to do that. You know, I know I have to look after my family, so... I know I have to do that sort of thing. And this other stuff, what would you like me to do with that? That prayerful, purposeful working through is what I suppose we're encouraging you to do. To take that purposeful thought this year. Now I know that a lot of you do that and you think that through. I still encourage you to do it again. Our family has to keep doing it at times having the conversation as circumstances change, as life moves on. It's probably the biggest struggle for us when we didn't have much. But on the other side, it was easier then because there was less to give away. I remember once when we were at university, I can't remember how much it was, Sylvia and I have different memories of it, but we had saved up a certain amount to do something with it and the missionary came and they wanted the money. They needed it. And we just felt that God said, okay, that money that you've saved up for, I don't know what it was for now. They need that. 
over there. And we felt if we can give that, we'll give everything in our bank account to do that. That was hard. We didn't have much. But in one way, that was easy. If you ask me now, if some missionary rocked up here and said, we need this and it covered everything in my bank account now, I would find it, the Lord would really need to be pushing me hard to prompt me to give everything now because I've got more. It's harder when you've got more. In other words, you have to keep thinking about it as your circumstances change and say, what is it that God wants you to do? So that's my encouragement to you. Regardless of the ways that it's abused, without the pressure of guilt, but rather out of this joyous heart for all that Jesus has done for us, let us use our time, our money, our relationships, and say, Lord, how are we to be good stewards of these things? Let's pray. Father, all things that we have come from your hand. The first fruits, part of it, is yours. Father, I pray that you might encourage each of us to spend time with you and to say, Lord, what do you want me to do with that which you've given me? How much is yours for the use of your people in your ministry for the, the alleviation of hunger and, and hardship and people who are aliens and foreigners how much can I use to, to just with great joy and rejoicing praise your name and Father with the rest that I have how can I use it in a way that is Christian in a way that brings praise and honour to Christ and lifts his name high. Encourage, Father, each of us by your Spirit to do that. To do it honestly and purposefully, faithfully, openly, that we might not, in any way, be bad stewards of that which you have given to us, but rather we might be faithful. And on that last day, when you return and you judge us, you might see what we have done, and you say, well done good and faithful servant you've been faithful with the little and now I'll give you much enter into the happiness that I've prepared for you Father I pray that this might be each of our experience as we live in the fullness of the gospel of Christ pray these things in Christ's name Amen